Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today, in this podcast, we're going to discuss the good news of Christmas. Today, we'll lead off with Luke 2.10. As usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. So, with Christmas and the good news that it brings to the world as our theme today, let's just dig right Right. Randy's going to read for us Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 10, to get us uh, set on this podcast as to that first broadcast 2,000 years ago of good news. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Amen. That's the current event, Christmas and good news. Which brings up the question, what is the news of the world, and how important is it? Now, I can remember, going back to the late 40s, I think we had our first TV set about 1949, 48, where we lived at that time. Massive screen. (laughs) I think it was uh, nine inches. (laughs) The early ones actually gave you a screen with a little magnifier, so you can can make it bigger. Um, But certainly by the early 50s, I remember listening on NBC to John Cameron Swayze was his name. He was sponsored by, um, what have I, what's I got on here? Timex, uh-huh. yes. Takes a licking and keeps on ticking, a phrase he made popular. Uh, John Cameron Swayze was a news reporter for NBC, came on in the evening, and it lasted for the total sum of 10 minutes. That was it. <laughs> Things have changed. Locally, I remember listening to, and this is in Cincinnati, Ohio, a uh, fellow named Peter Grant, interesting character. He was, uh, for a while, band leader of the Ruth Lyons program. Those of you from Cincinnati will know who I'm talking about. Uh, but he also was the director of news at a local station, WLW, and uh, was an old old bachelor. Looked like it when you looked at him. He was bald-headed, wore a bow tie, <laughs> not like the, the Hollywood faces that we see on the news these days. Had a face for radio. Yeah, he lived with his mom, never got married. <laughs> They had a swim pool, as I recall, and they, he filled it in with dirt and planted flowers there. <laughs> this is Peter Grant. He had a program called Three City Final, and sometimes he even did the weather at the end. So that tells you, and that again, that was a, a short, like 10, 15 minutes at best, in the evening. Three City, that would be Cincinnati, Covington, and Newport. Oh. And final, because this is the last news of the day. Uh, and that was it. Things have changed. Um... How's it changed? Well, there are always those who are willing to make money providing more news, and there are those who always want to know the latest, whether it's worth listening to or not. We find this even in New Testament times. Uh, Paul is in Athens, and he's uh, upset with their idolatry. And then we have this aside, very interesting, from Luke about the people of Athens, Acts 17.21. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. There you go. So the phenomena of wanting to hear what's new is not new. It's been around for a long time. Uh, What would they have done with 24-hour cable news? I guess they wouldn't have time to make a living. Paul, of course, delivers the news they need, through which all news is to be vetted, uh, as he preaches to the intellectual council the philosophers of Acts 17, uh, ending his uh, presentation to them, verses 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent 
because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Right. The times of ignorance. And a lot of uh, places today doing news call themselves the times. That's interesting. And they are still times of ignorance, I might add. Uh, This is the news the Athenians need. But do they take this news to heart? Here's a good question. Since the start of the 24-hour cable news stations, has our culture gotten better for that or worse? Something to ponder. Uh, Is, in fact, 24-hour news a good thing? A competition forces pressure to break news first. Sometimes they get stories wrong, I mean real wrong, and then they end up in court getting sued like we've seen a couple times in the last few years. Uh Or they have to spin it. And worst of all, to twist it to a particular agenda. So it's not news, it's propaganda. And from the beginning, it was so. I found it interesting, since we've been doing this podcast, how many times we start back in Genesis Mm. to get at the root of something. So we're going to start again in the Garden of Eden. The news to Adam was freedom with a warning. And I might add, it's the first time we have God actually speaking in chapter 2 to Adam. And it is news. So let's listen to it. Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This is all yours, Adam, to work and to keep. And everything here, already prepared for you, you can freely have. Good news! I mean, if I were to be the first person created and waking up to consciousness and saying, our hearing from God, this is all yours, that's, that's good news. That's good news. Then we have, of course, the bad news. But do not eat from this one tree, or there will be death. And that's bad news. So from the beginning, there was good news, and there was bad news. There was also fake news. <laughs> so Eve, here's a different news broadcast. And she has to make a decision about that. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Yes, the narration of the fall of mankind. What Satan proclaims is fake, deceptive news, but Eve decides to believe it's good news, so her and Adam go all the way of all flesh. Now, here's the thing. She accepts the serpent's word as good news, but in fact, it's bad news. We learn right here, news must be vetted. John says in the New Testament, 1 John 4, 1, test the spirits to see if they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world and a lot of those today are in the news community. 
we've got to separate the chaff from the wheat, and there's where we'll see the good news comes in. So here at the very beginning of humanity, the pattern is put forth as to the course of humanity. Wanting good news, but so often accepting bad news as good. The importance of the Word of God comes in here, for we do need a way of knowing bad news from the good. Now, right up front, let's tell this. There will be bad news in our lives, but we have this exclamation from the psalmist of Psalm 112, verse 7. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Yes, trust in the Lord. That's the cure for bad news. The story in Genesis 3 also shows us that all news is local, but will aspire to be global. I have found this an interesting phenomenon. And that's for two reasons. The providence of God, the providence of Satan. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. We used it once before in a podcast know, months ago, but it applies again. I like it. He says, quote, There's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. End of quote. And of course, this is done through Satan's deceiving news versus God's good news. Mm. That's absolutely the way it is. Yeah. Satan's local to global reach is seen in Eden, for death becomes global phenomena. All this because of someone who believed bad news was really good news. Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. There again, you see the two aspects of news, good news on the one hand, bad news on the other. 1 Corinthians 15.22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Bad news, good news. It needs to be broadcast. And as shown, the grace of God becomes a global phenomena as well. Listen to Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Keep that word appeared, appearance in mind. We're going to use it later in reference to a famous Roman emperor. Satan has the world in his, in his embrace, and bad news disguised as good news comes from that. Listen to 1 John 5.19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And his grip because of the narrative he spins, the news, because the world believes bad news is good news. Mm -hmm. And yet God so loves the same world that there is good news to be believed. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Yeah, the purpose of God to save the world. Good news. And we love to hear it, especially at Christmas time, with the birth of Jesus. The problem of news is found throughout the Old Testament where successive kingdoms wanted their kingdom's influence to reach out from their locality with the news that all in the world should bow down to them for their own good. In fact, you can go to Daniel chapter 2 and read that prophecy about uh, the rise of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and finally Rome. And all these kingdoms had ways of getting news out to the world as they knew it in their day. All these kingdoms proclaimed news throughout the realms in a worldwide reach to keep their subjects informed of what news they needed with a follow-up of how to react and serve. For example, let's look at Rome. And Rome had newscasts. 
because this empire is the setting for the good news of Jesus' birth. Now, I'm going to give you a quote from earlychurchhistory.org. This is interesting. Uh, I love history. I love delving into history. And listen to this. Quote, a daily papyrus newspaper, and this is a Latin term I'm going to give you, acta diurna. It means literally daily events. Mm. Sounds like 24-hour news to me. Continuing the quote, the acta diurna, daily events, was distributed in locations in Rome and around the baths. Of course, the baths would be the place where they would take their time, get in the water, you know, want something to read. There you go. Their social time. That's right. So they'd be reading the Acta Diurna. The motto of the Acta Diurna was publicize and propagate. They also used whitewashed boards with news of the day, and they would post them in public places. Continuing the quote, the Acta Diurna kept Romans current on events of interest, such as weddings, births, deaths, crimes, trials, monies in the treasury from the provinces, the cost of the supply of grain, movements and events in the imperial family, just like everybody wants to follow the family of the Queen of England, the late Queen of England's family and all that, gossip columns on the latest love adventures of the rich and famous, gladiator events, military and political news, as well as some human interest stories. Example, dog lost far away, finds way home. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> that was of interest 2,000 years ago. And of course, astrological readings. The quote continues. Through Tacitus, now he was a very well-known Roman historian whom I've used before in teaching because he refers to, uh, to Jesus uh, in his writings. Through Tacitus, we learn the newspaper was carried by courier throughout Rome's vast empire. See, local to global and was eagerly read for current news from Rome, end of quote. Uh, the existence of this paper is uh, through Roman writers, since the papyrus paper has long since vanished along with the whitewashed boards. Conclusion, people want news. People need news. But how to know what is news? Who controls the news narrative? Rome kept a daily news report going so people would become so acclimated to daily news they could be informed when Caesar had a worldwide news to share. Mm. So that can be a good thing, or that can be a bad thing. Uh -huh. Interesting enough, it becomes, for we Christians, a good thing when we come to Luke's account in chapter 2. So, all news begins locally, Garden of Eden, as well as a crib in Bethlehem, and aspires to go worldwide, which is the announcement the angels make. It's for everybody. Yeah. It's not just for Bethlehem. So let's review the Christmas story as found in Luke 2, and see how the birth of Jesus is the good news in the midst of a competing news agency, Roman Empire, which in turn would compete with God's good news. Luke 2.1, listen to this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. That's right. Augustus was emperor from 27 BC to 14 AD, covered the birth of Christ, covered a good hunk of time. And um, as emperors go, he, he was one of the best. Your, your better ones don't happen until at least a century later. And you got a lot of losers in between. One of the comments I love from Augustus, who was um, prone to make some boastings now and then, he said, I found Rome a place of concrete and left it a place of marble. So, you know, a lot of infrastructure improvement. So much was made of his reign in his day. And this is important, and it sets the example of why we have the words we do from angels and the birth account of Jesus. For example, 
Caesar Augustus had already been heralded as Savior. Now here's an inscription. This was discovered about the middle of the 19th century in a place called Priene, Turkey. And it's been in, uh, interpreted. Uh, it's called the Priene Calendar Inscription. And it was apparently done around 9 BC, not on papyrus, obviously, but you know, chiseled into to stone as it were. It's called the Declaration. Listen to this, quote, Providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior for both us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, remember that from Titus we just read? Mm -hmm excelled even our anticipations to passing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. He is the Caesars of Caesar. He is it. And since the birthday of the god Augustus, this was the beginning of the good news for the world that came by reason of him. Hmm. Does that all sound familiar? Of course, because you first heard it in Luke, yeah. not from... A decree from a Roman emperor. So that was written to uh, promote the virtues of Caesar. Uh, Mark, at the very start of his gospel, by the way, pits the gospel against this. In Mark 1.1, he starts out saying, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen again to the key words and phrases attributed to Caesar, Augustus, that put him into the competition with Jesus. He is proclaimed a savior, not just for those present, but for all to come all the people. He'll put an end to war. And of course, that was the promise of peace in Messiah. Ryan is going to read those passages and you'll get the messianic and birth of Jesus import from this. Isaiah 9, 5 first. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Leading in, of course, to the uh, coming Savior. But notice, wars will be put to an end. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he has called two things there. Listen, unto us a child is given, birth of Jesus. Uh, a child is born, unto us a, a son is given, and that's given in crucifixion. And that's how he's going to bring peace. But then we come to verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All this is folded into the proclamation of the angels that Christmas night when they talked about peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So, not Caesar, but Christ. And he would make an appearance. Okay, we see that. And his Caesar's birthday is the beginning of the good news for the world. So whose appearance matters, Jesus or Caesar's? Whose birthday should be celebrated for good news, mm. Caesar's or Jesus? There's a writer in Rome named Virgil, considered their greatest poet. Uh, he spent almost a lifetime on this poem called the Aeneid. Basically, it traces the uh, travels of a man named um, Aeneas uh, all the way up to the founding of Rome and it was meant as a propaganda piece to promote uh, Augustus Caesar as the, um, the climax of the history of Rome from its very beginning in mm -hmm. Troy to present time. Uh, here is 
uh, a quote, this is interesting, from Microsoft Bing about uh, Virgil and his poem. Listen to this, quote, Throughout the Aeneid, Virgil suggests that the entirety of Roman history, from Aeneas's flight from Rome through Romulus's founding of Rome, was all leading up to Augustus. Sounds like Old Testament prophecy talking about, right, Jesus coming up. He does not do this subtly, but quite blatantly. Virgil says this, quote, Behold, at last, that man who was foretold, Augustus Caesar, kindred unto Jove, and related to God, who brings him, brings in with him a golden age. Listen to Paul's comment in Galatians 4, 4 and 5 about Jesus. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. There you go. And so Paul has his own way of summing up who is the one who is the fulfillment of all things present, I mean, past time up to the present. Uh, just keep all this in mind as we continue with Luke's narrative as Randy reads Luke 2, verses 3 through 7. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So uh, at one point, Joseph went out, even there in Nazareth, and there was another place, uh, Sephora, nearby, which the, would even be a, maybe in a better place to post this news. But he read the whiteboard, or he got the papyrus that says, Caesar's, go. Caesar's doing this, you got to go back to your birthplace. Yeah. And, of course, all this is for tax purposes. So, But that doesn't make it any easier for a pregnant Mary to travel to Joseph's official home place, 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Get there, there's no room because everybody else had beat them, because I think traveling with a pregnant woman slows you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and traveling, they had all the commotion, the difficulties that come with the kind of travel that would be required. And in the context of a powerful government mandating such a movement, there is hidden the real good news to made, made to, a, uh, to the public, uh, especially to a bunch of nobodies, the shepherds, as we shall see. Now, the big contrast between Caesar's decree and heaven's we find in Luke 2, verses 8 and 9. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Uh, Roman soldiers were everywhere, especially would be in Bethlehem, carrying Caesar's good news and posting daily updates of how things are going with the registration in Bethlehem. And they will get respect, believe me. The shepherds get no respect. They're like Rodney Dangerfield. No they, get, respect. they get no respect. That's right. They were persona non grata in those days. And yet to make the point about the kind of attitude to have to receive this news from God, the good news, shepherds are the ones who get the scoop. Here's a quote again from Microsoft Bing about shepherds. <laughs> quote, in Christ's day, shepherds stood on the bottom rung of Palestinian social ladder. They share the same unenviable status as tax collectors and dung sweepers. Only Luke mentions them. And Luke is the one who, you know, majors in minors, majors in the poor and the downtrodden. 
Uh, it's one of his great themes through, well, not only through Luke, but also through Acts. And so, yes, it's to these people that the angels come with the good news, not to Caesar's court, not to Roman's historian, not to the reporters, not to those who wrote the uh, Acta Diurna with all the news items of the day, none of those. So as Mary said in Luke 152, listen to this, he was brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Yes, Caesar sat upon the throne. He put out the decree. The Act of Diurna would have published it everywhere throughout the empire. And yet the really good news that matters comes from heaven to people known as shepherds. No one liked to associate with them. They smelled like sheep. I don't know how many people out there have smelled sheep. But if, if you're not, you know, it's like cows or horses. Unless you're raised on a farm, it, it doesn't smell good. Right. If you've raised on a farm, you're like, mm, ah, brings back memories. That. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, yet it's to these people that the angels come with the good news. So, as Mary said, you know, this is, this is good news. This is good news. He takes the ones on the throne high up and brings them down. Caesar has been brought down. Now, how do the shepherds hear? Listen to Luke 2, verses 10 through 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to the God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. And of course, the King James, uh, goodwill, peace toward men. Uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The alternative reading, uh, which again, uh, we find in a sense in Luke 2.32, Randy. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Yes, that's the old man Simeon in the temple holding baby Jesus in his arms and making that prophecy that this child will be a revelation for Gentiles and the glory of God's people, mm. Israel. For all people, that take Israel and Gentiles takes in everybody. How do the shepherds respond to this good news? Luke 2, 15 through 18. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Right. Amazing experience. Once in a lifetime experience. I mean, how many times in the course of one's life does one meet an angel in such a spectacular way? I would say about zero. Right. So... And the amazing thing is, they didn't spend time talking about the experience. They were interested in the news, which mm. tells us no matter how great one's experience is, the message of that experience is more important, one way or the other, than the experience. So they went to verify. Remember when Reagan was in office, you know, trust but verify. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. So they trusted, but they want to go in and see it. Let's, let's see this. Let's find it out. And um, the news about... Um, Jesus. But the news about Caesar Augustus as a savior, a peacemaker uh, for all the world, etc., that's passed into the dust of history. But what the shepherds were told, that news continues today as the good news. And the news of Rome is history, literally. Yeah. <laughs> good news is still making good news today. 
But not only do we see the need to verify, trust the Lord and taste and see that the Lord is good, good news, but meditate upon it for the strength and wisdom we need. I mean, how often can you do that with today's news? Yeah. Uh, listen to Luke 2.19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. There you go. The message that the shepherds brought, um, I'm sure there were more discussions between uh, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and others on this. But Mary was uh, a thinker, a ponderer. She liked to meditate. She treasured, meaning she kept these things, went over them again and again uh, to get everything she could out of them. That's when you know you got good news because mm -hmm. it drives you in that fashion uh, to long, to want more, to comprehend, to get it into your system. Uh, you watch 24-hour news today on any channel and you want to get it out of your system, I think, for the most part. And this great message was brought by the lowly, stinky shepherds. Uh, she would need the strength of this word, for later she'll get, she's going to get bad news from a man named Simeon, mentioned earlier, about the child that she has birthed. Uh, when Simeon was holding that baby in his arms and said, this baby is going to be a revelation to Gentiles and a glory for Israel, he had a word about the baby to Mary in particular, Interesting, not to Joseph, but to Mary. But I'm sure Joseph took it in. Luke 2, 34, 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A sword will pierce through your own soul as well. So... I wonder if Mary, because she knows the scripture, well, if you've read Luke 1, you know that because she takes Hannah's song of praise from 1 Samuel 2 and remasters re it and renovates it and brings it an update to her own life. Um, I wonder if she meditated again upon Psalm 112.7. Listen to this again, Psalm 112.7. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm trusting in the Lord. Yes, Mary's heard some bad news, but eventually she was always involved in the good news, and that's what carries her through. It's what carries anybody through eventually, the good news of Jesus. And so let's end with the final word of the shepherds who returned not to discuss the strange experience they had, but to worship the Lord. Luke 2, 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. As had been told them. Exactly. The truth. The good news of Christmas is this. It's the truth. Ultimately, all news must be judged by this good news for the simple reason that no man, government, emperor, president, etc., can bring the peace that Jesus does, be the Savior Jesus is, and bring to pass the coming kingdom where peace will reign supreme forever. That's the Christian expectation. Well, thanks, Jim. That's a lot to think about. And in this season of good news, we wish you a Merry Christmas. If you'd like to give us questions or comments, please send those comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the words and, the word expectations at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and to you and yours, a very Merry Christmas. And until next time, keep looking up.